I would encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Book of Ephesians, chapter 1. For those of you who get here early, I just thought I'd have these a little throwaway because I know it takes a little time for us to settle down. But just a little history on the book of Ephesians. This is uh, Calvin's favorite book in the Bible. For you can understand uh, from its subject, uh, the topics we'll cover this morning, why that would be so. He has uh, some of his most famous sermons are on the book of Ephesians. In fact, even uh, throughout history, some of the great uh, saints uh, of Christendom have actually uh, listened to or had read uh, Calvin's sermon as a means of just bringing peace to their own souls. Uh, Knox was known for, uh, at his deathbed, his wife would read Calvin's sermon to him on his deathbed, ultimately to bring peace and comfort to him. Just so you might know a few things about also the book of Ephesians, is that it is comparable in size to the book of Galatians. What is interesting about that, in the book of Galatians, there are approximately 104 sentences, okay, out of uh, about 2,500 words in the book of Galatians, 2,500 there are 104 sentences. What is unique about the book of Ephesians, which is approximate in size, there are only 64 sentences in the book of Ephesians. So if you are wondering what that means, from a grammatical uh, standpoint, Ephesians is much more complicated than Galatians is, simply because of the fewer numbers of sentences. Having said this, I just wanted to have you get some extra information since you guys were here early. I just thought I'd give you a little overview on the book of Ephesians so that you can uh, just have a sense of where we are going this morning. I will uh, just address initially this first chapter of Ephesians. Essentially, the entire first chapter is three sentences. Entire chapter, three sentences. And the first sentence is the salutation. So really, the entire chapter is divided into two sentences, and it is all prayer. So with that, let us pray. I will then read the text, and then we will begin the message. Let us ask the Lord to guide both me and you this morning, that he might guide us together. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the love that you have for us. We know that we are dependent upon you for all that we have. We know that your spirit must guide and direct each of us so that we might come to know and understand your word. We pray that you would communicate to us this morning to help us to understand, to help us know what is most important in life. And Father, each of us should be able to answer that easily this morning. But Father, we often need reminded because of what sin does to us each and every day. We pray that you would guide us, open our hearts and open our minds, that we might see you more clearly this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 through verse 14. I'm reading the entire section all the way down to 14 because as I have already told you, it is one single sentence. But this morning we're not going to deal with the entire 14 verses, but only verses 3 through 6. But for the fullness of the 
body in the text, I want to read it all. So if you'll join me in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which is lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were seated with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Today as we look at this message, there is one character I want to address. He's not in the book of Ephesians, but... He is somebody who was born in the 1600s. His name is Thomas Ken. Some of you who are musical may know his name. Today, we want to look at a man named Thomas Ken. He knew what it was to have adversity in his life, and yet he also knew what it meant to have blessings. Thomas Ken, when he was born, lost both of his parents, so he knew tragedy in his life. He was but a child. But as a child, his sister and her husband chose to take him into their own home and they raised him. Shortly thereafter, they enrolled him at Winchester College and where he studied and became somewhat of a scholar. He had been a call to ministry. He'd also served and, and had studied in Oxford. And eventually he became and returned to Winchester as a professor or a teacher. He had academic positions in his life. In this whole time, he also knew the adversity of just the challenges of ministry as well. For he was made the chaplain of Princess Jane. Until there was what was called a case of immorality in the court, which he was removed from his position. Later he was made the chaplain of King Charles II. Yet he refused to house the king's mistress. But for this, rather than losing his position, he was elevated to the position of bishop. Throughout Thomas Ken's life, he had done much preaching and he had written songs. And the purpose of his writing and preaching was to uplift the spirits of the saints, to help them and to 
help them to focus upon what is most important in life. One of these songs that Thomas Ken wrote is one that is probably one of the most sung choruses in all of Christendom, at least in modern era. The song that he wrote for us, we sing as four, four lines. For him, it was a nine stanza song. But this morning, I hope and pray that we will use his song as a theme for the message this morning. The song is, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. This morning as we look at our text, we, like Thomas, know that we have experienced tragedy, adversity, and we've even had distractors in life. The adversities are the satanic and even the spiritual activity where we are told, often whispered in our ears, that God is not worthy of being followed, which is the greatest lie that can be perpetrated to us. And yet we hear these things and we are distracted by them. We also know there are detractors in the world that try to rob us of our faith. and They try to undermine our beliefs by telling us what we believe is not that important or even to deny its truth. And we begin to be distracted and drawn away. Our spirits are lowered oftentimes because of the adversity in our lives that we have these issues and we are challenged. And we need constant reminder of what is most important in life. Paul here, who has authored the book of Ephesians, has structured this in a particular manner to remind us of what is most important in life. Normally, Paul would move right into the thanksgiving for the salvation of his people, but here, Paul does something significantly different. And when he does that, it ought to cause us to pay attention. Why has he done these things? To draw our attention to what is most important. As I've already told you, this entire chapter 1 is prayer. The first part is praise. The second part is petition. The first part is what we would call doxology. Therefore, the very theme of our message is what we sing as the doxology. But the second part is supplication. So when we see the blessings of God, two things ought to come. First, it ought to call us to praise God for all that he has done for us. But then it ought to cause us to pray and ask God to be at work in our lives and in the lives of the individuals of the church as well. For this is what this prayer is meant to do. It is meant to reorient us, to put us on what is most important in life, to refocus us so that we can understand and overcome all the tragedies and difficulties and adversaries in our lives because we come to realize what is most important in all of life. Let us now begin to look at the text that is before us this morning. In verse 3, the opening phrase is, blessed be. Blessed is an adjective, interestingly enough. It is, purpose is to declare that it is God who is the blessed one. Meaning that in himself, he contains all blessings. That he is the blessed one, that he is worthy of receiving praise. But at the same time of declaring and defining who God is, it also calls us to praise and to bless God, which means that we exalt him, we extol him. We give him credit for all that he has done and we praise him for all that he has done for us. And we are called to bless him 
and praise his holy name. It is what we are called to do. It is our purpose. We will realize that none of these things can be possible apart from Christ. In fact, the next phrase tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in and through Christ, throughout these four verses, that we are reminded it is through Him, by Him, and for Him, that all of these things have been done for us. He has accomplished these things. It is the reason we are to bless God because we realize that the Father has sent His Son into the world to bring salvation, to be our propitiation, to absorb our wrath that we rightly deserve. He has taken upon Himself and He has set us free that we might live, that we might see and understand what God has done for us. That we should be at wonder and awe for everything that he has done for us. That we should, once we understand that this blessed one, who is God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has sent his one and only son to bring salvation into the world, who did not spare him but gave him up for us all, how can he not give us all things? Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And praise God, from whom all blessings flow. As we've already looked, it is Jesus Christ who is the Son, and it is this idea of Father that we are to be drawn to. Every time we hear Father repeated in the Scriptures, it is meant to bring a sense of intimacy, a warmth into our hearts, To know this is not some abstract God in which we are trying to appease, but He is our Father. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, we are reminded that we are able to call Him Abba Father. For He is the one who is the cherished Father, the one who loves us, who has poured out so much sacrifice of His own Son for us, that He has demonstrated His love, not only by giving His Son, but His Son has also demonstrated His love. By becoming the sacrifice for us all and living the life that we could not live and dying the death we deserve to die. We must always be reminded of what Christ has done and what the Father has done for us by sending his one and only Son. For he did not spare him, but he gave him up for us all. So these are what we are to remember. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what He has done for us. In verse 3 we continue, it says, Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now when we begin to try to put our heads around this, that it is God who is to be blessed He is the blessed one. He deserves all the praise and glory for that. It is God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done these things through his Son. And it is through his Son that he has given us every spiritual blessing. One of the things most of our translations are going to not capitalize spiritual, but I believe it should be a capitalized spiritual. For it is through the Holy Spirit that God has brought all these blessings into us. Now we need to Pay attention to what this is being said. Because I don't want any of you to miss what the spiritual blessings that your spirits might be lifted up. 
because of the truth of what Paul has written here, that he is bringing us to a reorientation to focus once again upon what is most important in life. And what is most important in life is God himself, the blessed one, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is he who is worthy of all praise and honor this morning. And it is he who has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now you might think, well, okay, preacher up there, we know that God, okay, he's blessed you. We know, okay, the elders, they're blessed because they they have a level of spiritual maturity and the deacons, they're blessed. Yeah, we understand all these things. The leaders are blessed. But what is Paul saying? Is it just the important people or the people who are doing the work or doing, you know, the things within the church who have the leadership that they're the only ones who are blessed? On the contrary, it is actually saying everyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has every spiritual blessing. It is not a wish fulfillment. It is actually a fulfillment of reality that you, each one of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at this very moment, you have been given every spiritual blessing from heaven. That there isn't anything that you lack. There isn't anybody who is more important or who has more blessings. We all are equally given these spiritual blessings. You might ask, well, what are these spiritual blessings? Some of them will be enumerated as we go forth, but these are not to be exhausted categories of blessings that we've received. But what you need to understand that these spiritual blessings are everything that you need to live this life and everything that you need to live the life to come. Everything is covered for life so that you can live this life And that you can have the assurance that you will have a life to come. That you have everything that is necessary. Every spiritual blessing has been given to you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And what he has done upon the cross. That we need to praise and just be marveled. That we have been given such excellent things from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. From the heavenly places. These aren't ordinary blessings. These come from the orientation of God himself. It is God who has given these blessings to us. And it is this that we must get within our minds. That is what Paul wants us to see. It isn't some of us who have these blessings, but all of us have these blessings. And it's the very reason why we are to praise and bless the Father, who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through Jesus Christ that we have received these blessings, what he has done upon the cross for us. What we will remember in the communion that he died for our sins. All these things are what we must focus upon, that we must meditate daily. For this is a prayer that will change our lives if we come to it with understanding and with wisdom. If we pray the prayer of Paul on a regular basis to understand all that God has done for us. So that we might praise our God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Oh, how worthy he is to be praised. Oh, how great he is for all that he has done for us. Job had an understanding that it was this God he had seen before, had only heard of, but now he had seen. And now it had made every difference in his life. Paul wants this prayer to make that same difference 
that you cease to only hear about God, but you are able to see what he has done for you. To experience and acknowledge all the blessings that God has given to you. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the epistle of James, epistle of James chapter 117, we are reminded of, once again, a very similar verse as we have before us. James writes, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father who is from above. It is the source, the heavenly place in which we have received these blessings. It is from God himself. And the wonder is that there is no deception, there is no delusion that occurs, for he is the father of light. And for us to grasp, because we see light and we see shadows everywhere, and our eyes can be deceived by these shadows. There are deceptions within shadows. But the very nature of who God is, for it is he who is the God of lights, that he radiates light because of his very glory. That there are no shadows that he can actually cause. Because he is everywhere. He is omnipresent. He surrounds us totally. We are immersed in him. And there can be no shadows because there is no single source of life. For he is all places at all times. And therefore there is no deception in him. Why is this important for us to know and understand? That we know there is one above all else who we can trust. Who we can be certain about what he has done for us. He has given us every spiritual blessing. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father who is above. And it is He who is above all trustworthy. Because there is no delusion. There is no shadows that we could be led astray. For He is the Father of light. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Paul says and has told us that all of us have these spiritual blessings that are from heaven. It is not some people, it is not the elite, but everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has every spiritual blessing necessary for life. But Paul doesn't want to leave us there because in verse 4 he continues. And he says to us, even as he chose us in him. Now, We might think that we had some sort of right or privilege that we were given because we were chosen, which is true. But it isn't because of ourselves. It's because God has chosen us. We understand also that anybody who played on a recess field or played with a bunch of kids, that we all get lined up. We have two captains. And what is the most enjoyable thing that you can experience is to be chosen. Chosen to play. Chosen to participate. Well, how much more significant is the choosing when we understand how much more infinitely great is the one who's making the choice? And that he is choosing, not randomly or impersonally, but he is choosing us. He is determined to call us as his own. He chose us. And that is an incredible spiritual blessing that if we grasp, 
God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, has chosen us. He determined beforehand that we would be his. He has chosen us. We need to begin to just kind of savor and meditate on these truths. We have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has chosen us. And not just chosen us at the beginning of creation, but before the creation. For we are told it is before the foundation of the world. God chose us. Now we need to try to grasp the significance of this. There was never a time in all of history where you were not on the heart of God and that he did not or know you or love you. There was never a time before the oceans, before the mountains, before the stars and the moon, before the planet in which we stand upon. God had already chosen you. He had known your name. He knew you fully. Before you were created, before Christ came into this world, He had chose you. Now, if you can begin to grasp within your mind that God chose me before the foundation of the world, before anything else existed, God had already had me on his mind. But we also need to be cautious because sometimes we think, well, we are somehow deserving But the very nature of grace means there is nothing that we could have done. It isn't based upon foreknowledge that he knew who was going to believe because that would be meritorious. But yet, didn't he choose us randomly or just haphazardly? He wasn't indifferent about his choice. He determined that we would be his children and he has chosen us. And to remember these things that we are unique and special Not because of anything that we have done, but because we are chosen. And we have been given a spiritual blessing that is beyond our comprehension. It is unfathomable, the blessings that God has poured out into us because of what Christ has done. We are immersed in blessings and we ought to praise God from whom all blessings flow. To understand the greatness of what God has done for us and the greatness of who he is. And the love that he has for us. That he would willingly sacrifice his own son for us. And that the son would willingly die upon the cross. Because he knew the joy of our salvation. And he did it for us. Whom he had chosen. Before the foundation of the world. That there ought to be a sense. That our hearts melt over what God has done. Our greatest problem is that. Sin often deludes us or distracts us or takes us away. It has sort of almost an amnesic effect upon us because we're in the midst of sin. We forget all these things that God has done for us. And we lose focus. And we put ourselves as the most important in the world. We think somehow we deserve it, that God wants to bless us. He wants us to be happy. But he wants us to praise him. He wants us to know him and he wants us to know that we are loved beyond measure, beyond anything that we could comprehend. His grace is so infinite and magnificent that it's beyond our understanding. And yet we need to get some of this into our heart so that we might praise God genuinely from our heart for all that he has done for us and all the blessings he has given to us. For he chose us 
in his son before the foundation of the world. He has given us every spiritual blessing that is from heaven. Not some of us, but all of us has received these blessings. But Paul wants to continue. He says, it's not enough for you just to understand that you've been chosen. But he also wants you to understand that you have been predestined, in verse 5, for adoption to himself. He said, well, you already told us we're chosen. Why do you need to continue on and emphasize the activity of the predestination? Some Reformed think that somehow there's a sequence of choosing and predestination, that I'm one of uh, Piper's uh, followers, and salvation and predestination are simultaneous things. These choosing, the predestining, are, are in one sense, they might be different theologically, but from event standpoints, it's a unified event from God's perspective that he chose us and predestined us to be his children, adopted through his son. We understand what adoption looks like in our own society. We know that some parents aren't able to take care of their children for whatever reason. And they put them up for adoption for another family to take them in as their own. To be their children. Well in Greco-Roman it's a little bit different because they really didn't have the form of adoption that we have today. In fact when it says it's referring here to adoption... It's actually adoption of a grown person. The whole purpose of choosing this form of adoption was because you as a family who had some level of wealth had no one to pass on your inheritance to. And there was an immense process that would have taken place in Greco-Roman culture where a son of one father would cease to be his child In every legal and even emotional sense that he had no attachment to him. And became the child of another. That there is, was a break of complete separation. Where he ceased to have any recognition of him in name or as his father. They could have been friendly with each other. But they broke the bonds of father-son relation. And that son become a son of another family. Women might say, well, that's all well and fine for those people who have XY chromosomes. But what about us? Well, the purpose is not to show that men had it and women didn't. It was to show how significant the separation has become. If you were to go down through the book of Ephesians and go down to chapter 2. It's going to say that you were all once children of wrath. But now you've been made child of God. That this distinction is, you can't somehow say, well, I still get along with my family. Well, that's a problem because the father of the other family is the father of lies, which is the devil himself. So there needs to be a massive separation where you are completely removed from your former family, which is part of the world. And you have been united with God himself. That you are his child. And that is what he wants you to understand. That you have been predestined. That God had determined before time to make you his child. Not kind of a child by our modern adoption. But an absolute certainty that you have abandoned your previous father. And you have now become a son of God the father himself. This is the massive separation that Paul wants us to understand. That it is no small thing that God did to make you his child. It took a great sacrifice from a great Savior. 
to give you the right to become a child of God. That you had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You had to confess and repent of your sins and turn from all your evil. And to turn to God. We are warned to not turn back to the world and to the Father we had once before. But Paul wants you to know that you were chosen. That you were predestined before the foundation of the world. That God had determined to make you his own. And he did it all through his son, Jesus Christ. So that you would become a child of God. That your identity would be changed from one of wrath to one of grace and salvation. Knowing the loving kindness of God the Father who has given us his son. And that he has willingly died on the cross for us so that we might live there's a purpose for all these things is that God wants us to be a unique people who are holy and blameless essentially Paul says yes through what Christ has done you are made sanctified that you are made holy and you are made blameless but there is always a sense that we are to be representative of God that we need to reflect the holiness and the blamelessness That we need to live our lives dependent upon the Holy Spirit who's given us every spiritual blessing that is necessary to live this life. So that we can live as witnesses in the world to proclaim the glory and the praise of God to all who may hear and who may see us live. For that is why God has done all these things. So that more people can experience the immense blessing that God has for those whom he has chosen. He has called us to be his witnesses in this world. To proclaim the gospel. To tell everybody who is willing to listen about Jesus. That he might use that proclamation to bring people to himself. That they might know that they have every spiritual blessing that is from heaven. This is what God has done for us. This is why he is worthy of all the glory, of all the praise, why is worthy to be exalted and to receive all the blessings that we can pour out upon him. Our Father is worthy. He is deserving of all the praises that we might give to him. We now come to our final verse of this text, verse 6. Why has God done all these things? Paul tells us here in verse 6, why did he give us these spiritual blessings through Christ? Why has he chosen us? Why has he predestined us? To the praise of his glorious grace. He has blessed us. There are people who are in Hollywood and who are very outspoken about this idea that God has done all things for his own glory. We know this is true because it tells us in Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made for my glory, he did all these things. The few people who have been outspoken about why did God do all these things? Why does God need to be glorified? From a human perspective, we understand none of us are worthy of the glory that we think we're deserving of. And we say, oh, well, God must not be either. But that's a mistake because those people don't understand everything that God has done for us and the very nature of who he is. That he is the blessed one and every good and perfect gift, every good experience you've ever had in life is because you have had it from the Father. It is God who has blessed us. 
beyond our comprehension. It is God who's done all these things for us. And he is worthy of all the praise and glory for his grace that he has blessed us in Christ Jesus. He is worthy. Now when people say, why does God need glory? It's one thing to say if he's undeserving, we'd have a problem. But who else is worthy? For when we glorify God, we're not saying, well, we're not just trying to build him up or basically make him feel good by edifying him in some way because he needs it. We're only declaring truth. And therefore, when we declare truth of bringing glory to God, that is not arrogance. That's just a recitation of what is genuine and true about the nature of God. And when we just speak the truth that has been revealed to us, we glorify God. And that is why God has done all these things. And throughout all the scriptures, when God is glorified, people are saved. When God is extolled, people turn and look. What's different about him than everybody else? What's different about these people? What's different about their faith than all the other faiths? It's because God is glorified. They see and begin to know and understand. And God is at work through the Spirit because He has chosen them before the foundation of the world to bring them to salvation. He has predestined them to be their, His own child. And He's done it through His Son, a costly sacrifice by a great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye, all ye heavenly host. Praise Him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It is God who has done all of these things. And He has done them through the Beloved. It is through His Son that He willingly made such a great sacrifice for us who believe. And when we see it as my beloved Son... Listen to him. The, I, it is my prayer that we begin to see this as a prayer, not just for us theologically to understand, but for us to pray. That we would pray, blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us every spiritual blessing from heaven, who has chosen us, who has predestined us, who has known us before the foundation of the world. Who has sent his son to die upon the cross. Who has removed us as the children of wrath. The children of grace. The children of God. It is God who has done all these things for us. It is for us to remember these things. And perhaps as we are remembered. The son will become our beloved as well. That our hearts might melt. To know the great costs our savior went. To bring us salvation. That we might have every spiritual blessing that is necessary to live this life and the life to come. One of the interesting things for me when I read this book to the church at Ephesus. That this is not the only letter that was written to the church of Ephesus. If you want to turn your Bibles to Revelations chapter 2. Jesus dictated a letter to John. And it's interesting that here this particular emphasis of focusing upon God and everything that he had done. To focus upon how great God has loved us. And to remember what had happened in the book of Revelations chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 through verse 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus... Right. 
The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, clearly, this was following Paul's writing of the book of Ephesians. And Paul, in the beginning of Ephesians, did not go on to praise the people, but praise God for everything that he had done for us. To reorient those people, to cease to focus upon themselves and to focus first upon God, who is most important in all of life. To reorient their thinking, their understanding, to redirect them so that they would see God first. Now, I have to ask, sometimes I wonder, what if the Ephesians had genuinely prayed Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians? Would he be written the letter in Revelations? Had they blessed God and prayed to him, acknowledging every spiritual blessing that he had given to them, to experience the blessings that he had given and and prayed the petition and the request, the supplication that we see also in the book of Ephesians, just a few verses later in chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? This is the prayer that Paul prayed. He begins by doxology, praising God, acknowledging everything that God has done. And then he begins to pray a supplication prayer that we might understand the first prayer of doxology, that it might be genuine and real in our lives. So that we might know the immeasurable greatness of all that God has done for us. That we would be overwhelmed with the greatness and the immensity and the greatness of our Savior and all that he has done for us. Because none of us want to have Revelations 2 read to us. You've lost your first love. Because we have lost our focus upon our Savior. That we have not focused upon Him first. That it is the church that is referred, its lampstand is removed because we have lost our love for the Father. That we are to repent and return and to bless God from whom all blessings flow. To praise His holy name. And to acknowledge that he is the greatest of all and the most important in our lives, both individually and as a church.
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Before I finish, Ephesians is a significant. It begins in prayer and the theological themes end in prayer. And in chapter 3, it begins in petition and ends in doxology. And I want us to pray that prayer this morning, that we might know the love of God. Let us bow in prayer at this time. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to keep you from more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all ye creatures here below. Praise him above ye, all ye heavenly host. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. It is now time for us to respond in a like manner through the elements of communion. For Jesus, we understand, is the bread of life, and he was broken for our sakes. That he gave his life, his blood was poured out for us. That we might remember what he has done for us. That we might proclaim his death until he returns. And it is that time for us to respond and declare the greatness of God and his Son and the Spirit who has saved us. As you come forward at this time, I encourage you to start from the back and come forward as we listen to the music. You may want to take a moment to prepare your hearts, to pray, and to acknowledge that, yes, Lord, you are the most important in my life, and you alone are worthy of being praised, that you might sing praise God from whom all blessings flow.